1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. There's no sign of sustained improvement at our airports, and the blame laying among administrators at airports, the airlines, and the transport minister continues. On Tuesday, Omar Al Ghabra doubled down on his message that the failures are not his responsibility and blamed the airlines. There's no question the airlines bear some responsibility with many recent anecdotes of lost baggage. Meantime, there are some new rules on refunds, and maybe not as a surprise, they do not favor passengers. On Wednesday, Libby discussed the latest developments with Dr. Gabor Lukash, founder and president of Air Passenger Rights, and John Graddick, a former Air Canada executive.
2: There's so much of it going on these days that it really is, you know, kind of a, a, you know, a, a mess trying to figure out who you really you know part of the problem in this exercise um you know I, I i you know in my teachings i basically do a lot of work on supply chain as well as aviation management and we tend to look at root causes of of disruption and uh this one's a moving target it, you know like a month ago i would have said yeah airport staffing um then i then i moved to airline staffing and then i moved to uh, baggage and then i move today moving towards just the airlines just throwing too much capacity at the market and that the airport just can't handle it so it's moving
3: so it's like uh it's like overbooking a flight on a scale writ large they're just selling more flights than they can actually handle is that right well yeah, it's not
2: yeah it's not it's not you know the traditional overbooking and and gabor knows you know how this works is that you know, people would get on a flight in Air Canada or all the other carriers would overbook the seats. So you have 100 seats on an airplane; they'll overbook it to 110, and that's overbooking. In this case, it's not a question of overbooking; it's a question of just putting too many aircraft and too many flights. Forget overbooking; it's just too many flights that the airport infrastructure is not equipped to handle the volume of flights that the airlines are pro- are, are putting through the airport at Pearson.
3: Okay, well let us turn to the new rules for compensation. Uh Gabor, uh, what do you make of them? There are new rules. They go into effect not till September. There are amendments and uh it means that passengers whose flights are canceled or delayed by 3 hours or more uh for reasons including weather um uh have to be rebooked. Like what is what is the change here?
4: Well, that's a, good, that's a good question because to a great extent, whatever whatever has been there has not been changed, whatever is being changed has changed to the worst. Uh, what the new rules are adding is that in situations where it is within the airline's, sorry, which is outside the airline's control, the airline can, it sounds like, keep your money as long as they are offering you a flight within 48 hours, within two days. So if you were, say, to travel for a weekend um, visit, To a family member on a Friday evening, and they say, Well, sorry, we can't send this flight, but you can still fly on Sunday evening, just around the time you were about to come back, they can still keep your money. It's a Canada only quote uh, solution, which, which there is no other Western country that would allow airlines to do something like this. The US, the European Union, Israel, even Turkey are. Clear And they have clear like the rules in place that if a flight is canceled for any reason, doesn't matter who it is within outside airlines control, for any reason, the passenger can say, sorry, I want my money back. Why? Because people travel for a purpose. To be clear, if in Europe your flight is canceled and they offer you a new flight in two or three or five or six hours, it doesn't matter. If your original flight was canceled in Europe, you do have the legal right to say, I want my refund. In the U.S., the same thing. It is only in Canada that somehow the government believes that it's appropriate to force passengers to pay for flights which didn't operate, and for flights which alternative flights which are absolutely no use for them. Uh, it, it's mind boggling, actually.
3: Uh, John Graddack, I'm going to give the last 20 seconds to you. Well, I think that you know Canadian travelers going through the airport, particularly Pearson, over the next you know six
2: weeks. Um, the one thing they're going to need is a lot of patience. And I think that unless the government comes in and basically mandates a flight reduction, a schedule reduction, uh, we're stuck with this situation for the next six to eight weeks through at least Labor Day. And hopefully Canadians have a lot of patience and they have their smiles available so that they can basically be more civil to each other as they go through the airport.
1: John graddock a former Air Canada executive, and Gabor Lukash, founder and president of Air Passenger Rights. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. There seemed to be universal cheers earlier this month when Toronto was named one of the cities to host World Cup soccer games in 2026. This might come as a surprise to many people given the opposition in the past to other similar global sports initiatives, given the likely scenario of cost overruns that taxpayers will need to pay. The 1976 Olympics in Montreal is a perfect example of that. The Globe and Mail this past week had a well-argued editorial called, Dear Taxpayer, You Are Spending Almost $600 Million to Host 10 World Cup Games. Why? Libby talked about the pros and cons of hosting some of the 2026 World Cup games when she spoke with Toronto City Councillor Mike Cole and Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation.
5: It's going to be a big money loser for taxpayers. We know, uh, you mentioned the Montreal Olympics, the Vancouver Olympics costed Canada $7 billion. There was almost a billion dollars in new debt for the city of Vancouver. And look, we're talking about Uh, Toronto spending $890 million to host just five games. So that means we're going to be paying taxpayers $58 million to host each of the five games. And that's assuming that there's no cost overruns.
3: How how do you get to that number, Jay?
5: Well, if you divide the number that Toronto's going to be spending, uh, here in Ontario, what we'll be spending by the five games that that uh, we'll be hosting here, uh, you get to that $58 million number. Uh, this is how much uh, they've pegged the $290 million uh, between the City of Toronto, Government of Ontario. That's how much it's going to cost, expected, and that's before any cost overrun.
3: Uh, I'd like to bring in Mike Cole, uh, the Councillor for Eglinton Lawrence, why do you think it's a good idea to bring the World Cup games here? Well,
6: first of all, it's not one soccer game. It's uh, five games that'll be here. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm Italian. And I was here for 82. I don't know if uh, Jay was here for 82, but this city was just exploding with a million people out on the streets of St. Clair at the... uh, restaurants, bars, celebrating. I mean, uh, this is an international legacy event that every major city in the world tries to get. And uh, if we're going to basically uh, compete with these major cities, we have to compete with these sporting events, which are, you know, it's sports, but it's business too. It's good business. Uh, look what the Raptors did for Toronto.
3: God, yeah, would you Would you say no to that? Um, Jay, how do you respond to Mike?
5: Well, as Mike was saying, yes, it's five game, games. But if you're looking at $290 million, according to the Globe and Mail, for those five games, you're looking at $58 million per game. And, you know, it's it's interesting to want to compete with other cities in the world for certain things. But uh, I don't think taxpayers should have to put a bill that's three, almost $300 million just because our counselors seem to think that it might be nice to put Toronto up as a city that's competing in the world. I mean, there are a lot of other ways uh, for Toronto to shine in the world uh, as opposed to this, this World Cup uh, that we're talking about. And certainly, they, they, you know, when you're talking about the Raptors, the Raptors already play here. They have the stadium. They have the arrangements. Uh, They're paying the cost. We're talking about taxpayer dollars here, and that's a very clear difference.
3: And I'm going to give the last 20 seconds to Jay Goldberg. Jay. Well, uh, I think
5: it would be nice if uh, Councillor Cole and other councillors answered a very simple question. Because we are hosting these games, will you be raising taxes on taxpayers by even one cent to do so? That is the question. That's what our councillors have to be honest about. And if we see our property tax bills go up next year, uh, part of that you will be able to thank this decision to host these soccer games.
3: Okay, well, Well, I'm sure there's many reasons for
6: property taxes to go up, and this isn't going to do it by itself. So there's always the fear of taxes going up, but this isn't going to be the tipping point. This is an investment in keeping the economy of Toronto vibrant and uh, attractive for people to invest. And that's our number one job, get people working. And that's how you get revenues to pay for the services we need. Without business, we don't have the revenues to provide for our homeless, for our sick, our public health. We've got to bring in money. This is an attempt to bring in money.
1: Libby's conversation with Toronto City Councillor Mike Cole and Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. Coming up after the break, should the Mutso family name be removed from GTA hospitals where they've donated big money? We will discuss next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
1: Welcome back. On Thursday, our Tune Into the Town panel talked about a story broken by Blog TO, a new member of our Zoomer media family. It's a campaign to have the Mutso family name removed from two GTA hospitals following this past week's very tragic news about the suicide of Edward Lake whose three children and father-in-law were killed by drunk driver Marco Muzzo in 2015. A Change.org petition started on Monday and now has thousands of signatures, although those who've started the petition would not come on Fight Back to talk about their campaign. The people signing want to remove the Mutso name from Sick Kids and Mackenzie Vaughn Hospital, where the Muzzo's donated $15 million. There are many questions around this issue. Should the whole family be implicated because of the horrible crime committed by one family member? And if the campaign is successful, and even if it isn't, will this deter other rich people from making these huge gifts in exchange for naming rights? Anna Bailau is a Toronto City Councillor, David Crombie is a former mayor of Toronto, and Karen Stintz is the CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto City Councillor.
7: This is where, again, the petition is actually aimed at the wrong party, because there probably are legal documents that uh, dictated the terms of the contribution, and if it was a $15 million contribution in exchange for, then the hospital, unfortunately, is legally obligated by that. So, the petition really needs to be to the family. And it's become, um, it, you know, again, it, it's a legacy question because when these types of donations are made, they're made to causes that are close to the family's heart as part of a, a legacy building. And the family really needs to do some exploration. Is this the kind of legacy that they want to leave? The fact that it was their son, it wasn't, it was a member of the family, not the whole family, but nonetheless, it was their son that was involved in this horrific accident that took now four lives. And, and how do they now want their legacy? And so it, it will really be a decision for them, and I'm sure the hospital will abide by whatever they come to. But in terms of, 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 of needing to do something, I think the family is obligated to, to do something in, in this regard. David, what do you think?
8: Well, um, it, it, it seems to me, first of all, that uh, the, the horrendous experiences that families had, Lake families had, needs to be borne by all of us and, and understand it. But I think I have to come to the conclusion that that uh, the, the act of one member in one generation does not, we don't hold the, the others accountable and, and guilty. So it seems to me that that would be the wrong thing to do.
9: Anna bylaw Well, I, I think Karen is right that there are some legal uh, agreements oh, that for sure. probably is going to be very hard to deal with. Um, and, and I do agree that the sins of all are, are not uh, the sins of one are not the sins of all. Um, I, I think this could be a time for reflection from the family on uh, what actually um, other donations and involvement and causes um, they could be getting involved. Um, I think there is a time to, for, for that to happen. And given uh, this this petition, um, I think it is an important time for them to reflect on it. Um, but but I, I, I do agree as well with, with, with David, because the sin of one is not the sin of all. There's a whole family uh, that made that donation. Um, and and um, I think there's, it's a time to reflect uh, and a time to move forward on, on what they do with the legacy when, and future uh, donations as well. Um, they, but they have to come through to speak on it. I think they, they can't just stay silent on this issue.
3: Well, you know, on the other hand, if they were, for instance, to take up uh, some kind of cause related to drunk driving, it would look, it would look like they were very deliberately trying to clean their name. David, what do you think?
8: Yeah, I, and, and, and there's an instinct that would you'd want to say do something that's appropriate that shows how the feelings that toward the family that's been hurt. Uh, and I understand that, but, but it, to me, I guess there's a sense these days that if you don't like it, you cancel it. And so it, it, I, I know that's put too hard, but, but I think you cannot, you cannot, it's never ending. If you try, uh, blame one generation for the acts of another.
7: At a charity, for example, right now, um, I would, if I had the Muso family come to me with a with a large gift, I would bring it to the board, and we would have a real serious discussion about how we treated that gift and what we would name, and how we would then be able to explain to our, the members of our community how that got accepted. And so it is to Anna's point: the family has got to address it. There, there is no there there is no way they cannot, um, given the public outcry that's occurring and will grow the longer they don't address it. And so how they address it, it may not be removing the name. It may be um, offering namesakes of, for the family that was, that was killed, something along those lines to at least acknowledge the harm that's been caused. But they, but they cannot stay silent.
1: Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto City Councillor, David Crombie, a former Toronto Mayor and Toronto City Councillor, Anna Lau. Tune into the town every Thursday after the noon news. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. After a very long drought, the city recently seems to have exploded with social events, including one that Libby hosted here at the Zoomerplex for about 80 people to mark the 100th anniversary of Jewish immigrant aid services. There was also a Black Tie Gala fundraiser for the National Ballet and a tech conference with 35,000 people this past week, just to name a few. Tom Sandler is one of Toronto's foremost photographers, and he seems to be everywhere these days, chronicling events like these with his wife, Alin. He joined Fight Back on Wednesday.
10: There's a real mixture of things. There's everything from, um, I think, it where it started for us would have been, I think, the um, Biennial uh, Art Festival of Toronto, which was uh, wonderful festival, uh, celebration for art and artists in different venues in the city. And then, um, they had two big openings. Um, they were a bit more informal. And then you go right into stuff like, uh, the biblio bash for the, uh, for the, for the, um, um uh, library, um, which was a black tie affair. Um, there's just been everything, the whole spectrum of, um, stuff from jeans to, to black tie gigs uh
3: there seems to be a thing uh, social awkwardness after covid are you running into any of that
10: um i think some people seem to be out of practice a little bit um you know and you would meet people that said i haven't been out and this is the first event i've been to in two years so they're they're just a little bit i think out of practice but um it's it's kind of like a feeding frenzy out there (laughs) people are just so happy to be out and to be together and to celebrate and and they're very excited and um you know uh, sort of being social is kind of like riding a bike you know you sort of don't really ever forget how to do it so you just have a little shake off the rust a little bit and you're right back to right back to normal again well
3: i'm i'm actually n- not sure about that you know some people say it's it's more like a muscle and it, that maybe has atrophied because ah, that's i think
10: interesting yeah i think
3: it's it's difficult for some uh people to get back to you know chit chat before you get into something a little heavier you, you,
10: you know what i'm saying yeah i do exactly and you know you're absolutely right about that i think there is some awkwardness uh you know um with it um uh, we're sort of more on that level of doing that all the time. So it wasn't very, I didn't find it very difficult to do that, you know, myself or, or ally. And, you know, we're just kind of got right into it again. But, um, but you're right. I think there is some awkwardness about that.
3: And the other thing that, that I found, what I found personally, which I found quite surprising uh, is not so much feeling awkward as uh you know i go to something for an hour and it, i would find it exhausting
10: yeah that's that's a good point um it, it, people are i think out of shape for that kind of and you know we we've we all got a little bit older you know a couple years and um i think you sort of that's a natural sort of thing that happens anyways but if you're off the, the circuit for uh, as well then um Yeah, it it is. um, It can be a little (laughs) exhausting. Um, We just keep going. You know, our adrenaline is up on a high level. And uh, one day we actually covered two wonderful galas. One was the uh, Best Buddies Gala, uh, Thrill of Ascot. And we shot from 11 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. We had an hour break, came home, changed my shirt, and we drove out to do the Moonlight Gala at the McMichael Gallery from six till about midnight. (laughs) So that was all in one day. (laughs) So somehow we keep going like the Ever Ready Bunnies. What would you like to leave us with? Well, um, I think it's great. Like I said before, I I really love the city and the the people in it are are so wonderful and generous. And um, hopefully we'll just keep going and it'll keep growing and people will be still supportive and, and go to things. And we'll just, uh, you know, enjoy ourselves. And um, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, a whole new beginning and the start of everything again. And um, and we're we're very excited about it all.
1: Toronto photographer Tom Sandler. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Orist in Etobicoke phoned about Toronto hosting five games during the 2026 World
8: Cup. There's no way they're going to get their money back or our money back. Yeah, that's what I mean. The taxpayer's money back. This is ridiculous. I mean, it's nice to have it,
10: but at that cost, not a chance.
1: Kelly in Toronto also called to say she's against Toronto hosting World Cup games in 2026.
7: I think it's ridiculous, a ridiculous waste of money. There's so many more things that need looking after. There's people living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, putting a sporting event, it's those people with the money that are happiest here. The people without the money are not. And it's a ridiculous decision. And that's our money.
1: Brian called from the QEW about the same topic.
10: This is not a business opportunity. This is a government opportunity to promote themselves. All all of the um, experiences that other cities have had, Rio Olympics, uh, Vancouver Olympics, Montreal Olympics, all of these big sporting events ends up with deficits. And a lot of these venues end up being hollow shelves and a waste of money and time for the average working taxpayer.
1: Debra in Toronto phoned in on one of our other hot topics, drivers license suspensions due to medical conditions and trying to get them reinstated.
5: I'm in a two-month absolute bureaucratic travesty with MOT. I sent all the information in, in fact added to it, and it's been two months, and because their scanner doesn't work properly...
3: Are you serious? To,
5: their scanner is the excuse. My whole irritation is the lack of any kind of, uh, you know, accountability for anything. So I have talked to six people and asked for a supervisor to call me, and I haven't as yet received any information from the supervisor. It's just a travesty. There's no sense of consequence in anything anymore, I don't think. You know, it's such an absolute upheaval, and then I can't have the common courtesy of getting a response.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Vern in Whitby, who also phoned during our segment on doctors suspending driver's licenses.
7: Probably something that people are not aware of. If you've had, and this has been the experience with someone that I was looking after, when they went back to reinstate their license, they had to go through a whole rigmarole, plus they had to do a road test, and the cost was over $600 wow. to do this 20 minute road test. It was ridiculous. I don't well, know if anybody else has come across that, but that was the experience that my friend had.
1: That does it for this week's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter. At Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zee Paddy, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer.